Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am very excited to do this. Welcome to South Beach Sessions. This man has an uncommon zest for life. It's not just that he was a surgeon and then became a comedian. It's not just that he writes children's books and autobiographies. Not that he fled Egypt or is the John Stewart of the Middle East. He's also a salsa and tango teacher. He is a kite surfer. This man has lived a big life. Bassam Youssef with us. Thank you for making the time. Just flew in from Dubai. I just got here two hours ago. Your life is big and impactful. I say nothing that's untrue here. I, it seems like I'm flattering you too much. You get uncomfortable with it, it seems like, but I am thrilled to be talking to you. Thank no, you. I'm not getting uncomfortable. It's just like you're the hype. <laughs> People are set up for a disappointment. All right, let's see what that, that kite surfer, dancer, doctor, comedian has to say that I don't already know. <laughs> well, but I mean, I what do you regard as the most interesting parts of your story? Because I don't, I don't know where to start with you. Maybe I should be the, uh, the the most mysterious man, like the guy who does these commercial do, dosik dosik what, dosekis. Yeah, dosekis. I'll be like, I'm, I'm actually I'm getting what, what more white hair, so I'm getting into my midlife crisis. So I should be in that. Uh, I don't know what's next for you on challenges. We were talking before <laughs> you started here. You seem to be someone who likes challenges. I don't know. I, I it seems that actually, as a matter of fact, I I, I I'd like to stay away from challenges. My um, my aim in life is to live a comfortable life, but it seems that I'm failing <laughs> because I always find myself in situations that I don't want to be, but it, I end up being there. So I, and then people come to me and they put me in a pedestal, on a pedestal, and they come to me with all of these questions and all of these aspirations and all of these hopes. And I said, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you guys because I'm, I, I think I'm just like being like pushed or thrown from one, one situation to the other with absolutely no planning and uh, it seems that it lands sometimes sometimes it doesn't but sometimes it does i mean are you thinking i don't know that you answered my question about what you regard as the most interesting part of your story because i don't know whether you're talking about your offices being raided or <laughs> you know trying to use comedy to have impact in egypt where it's slightly less welcome i would imagine than it is in in a place that's freer <laughs> Well, I don't know what is the most interesting. Uh, it, I think it is um, interesting. Uh, it's different from people from different places. Like, so people who are from my part of the world, from Egypt, they are like done with that. They already know my story. Is like, all right, this, this is this is this is yesterday news. We're done. And there are people who are in the states are more interested in what happened to me in Egypt because that's for them is very alien and that is something new for them. And uh, but 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 if you want to ask about what I what I ha what I think I'm 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 in a constant state of fear of messing up because um, I always feel that I've been put into this career of comedy uh, while I don't deserve it because I I lived all my life as a doctor 37 years as a doctor and then started the comedy show. And I always feel that I was in the wrong place I don't, because I never planned for it. I never worked for it. And then I'm doing stand-up comedy. And I, I, and I always feel that I haven't put the right amount of work to, to have my own show or to be touring. While I know that a lot of like, I go to comedy, comedy shows and there's all of these comedians. And I know that they're better than me. And they've been, uh, English at least is their first language. And they've been doing that for a longer time. And I feel that like I'm getting more opportunities to, uh, than them. And I always have this kind of feeling that I don't deserve what I am. And I don't deserve all of this like love and adoration and expectations because people will always get uh, disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. A constant fear? A oh, yeah. You're living in constant fear. Yeah. 
constant fear of messing up, constant fear of messing up my next show, constant fear of uh, running out of material, constant fear of like when I'm done with that special that I'm touring with that I'm not going to be able to write the second one. I don't know what will be. I don't, I, I'm basically I feel I am on a borrowed time and that time will end up anytime soon. And I felt that when I was in the height of my fame in Egypt and that three and a half years where I, I, the show was crazy. It's like 40 million viewers each episode. That's like the Super Bowl every single Friday. And uh, and I was always depressed. And the people around me was like, why don't you have, why don't you just like enjoy it? And I said like, because I'm waiting for this to end. And it did, it's taken away from me. And then I'm here and I'm touring with this. Of course, I have this kind of like new, uh, new pump because of the Piers Morgan show. And now everybody is like asking me to go and do all of these interviews and have all of these appearances. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, when is this gonna end? That seems more joyless than laughter should feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they say comedy comes from pain. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I try to, to kind of like keep a little bit of pain in my life. So it can't be grateful, though? It won't work? Grateful, no, no, works, ag- grateful works against comedy. No, like- no, I'm, I, no, no, I'm very great, grateful. That, that's what I'm trying to learn, actually, now, to be actually more grateful. I mean, I'm always, bet- I'm always stressed between two things. The, the, the stressed of, uh, of not making it or not being up to the expectations. And I'm, I'm, and I'm afraid that I'm not going to be good enough. And uh, the, the one thing that I'm trying to kind of insert more in my life is kind of like to try to enjoy what I have instead of trying to think of what will happen. But I can't because this is, this is me always thinking about what would go wrong, what will go wrong. This like constant worrying. I have like, these are like two forces in my mind working against each other. That what's going to go wrong? It's like, why don't you just enjoy it as it happens? So it is, this is- I have uh, trouble with what you're talking about. I have had, uh, you know, I've gotten some of the things that I've wanted, but I enjoy them less than I should because the mind is a plague you know fear is a plague and it all gets in the way of joy it's not I I wasn't saying that you weren't grateful but I would think that gratitude would help you with joy that gratitude would stop your mind from humming this is probably part of what makes you great at things is that you're a perfectionist this way and the fear is fuel but I would also think that you would have the confidence of of success and be able to enjoy the moments while you're in them but fear's not going to help you do that yeah but but so here's the thing like let's say for I was just in Boston last week I did three amazing shows, one in Arabic and two in English. I feel amazing after each show. Uh, uh, this is like the, which is, which is much better than I, because when I started stand-up comedy, I sucked because I, I was new at it. So now I'm grateful that I feel good about that show. But it, even when I had the television show back in Egypt, I would say, all right, what will I, am I going to do in the next show? I was gonna go. Uh, will I feel seats? Will I be? Able, I, I have like a European tour coming up, and I'm afraid I'm not gonna sell seats uh, or sell tickets. I'm afraid that people will come and not not enjoy the show. I'm always having this idea of like um, um, when pe- I, I I think of myself as like people are paying tickets to come and see me, and they should get their the wor- their, their money worth. And that's why for me, when I do, when I'm on stage, I always look to the people who are not laughing or smiling. It's like, I'm going to get them. Not because of that, because like, I want to give them a good time. This is this kind of like, I think it's a kind of a, a, a provide, provider mentality in, my, in, in me, which I got it from my dad, who always want people around him to be happy. So um, that, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, again, it's a lot of expectations, a lot of people wanting me to do stuff or expecting me to do stuff. And ju- I'm just like afraid of, of not being up to it. Was it the same with surgery, with being a cardiothoracic surgeon? I hated the being a surgeon. I did it for 19 years and I hated every second of it. It's crazy. I was like seven years of medical school, 12 years of practicing, and I never liked a single day of it. But I did it because that's what I was supposed to do. I had good grades, so I had to go to medical school. That's the exile I, parent stuff. Uh, your, your, uh, your father was a judge. Your mother was a professor. Like yeah. exile parents, uh, you, you, uh, immigrant parents, you sort of have No, no four but that was five, in Egypt. Right, right, but you. Have, yeah. But what I'm saying is that 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 I feel culturally like a lot of cultures. You have like four or five choices on what success looks like professionally, and yeah. medicine is one of them. Yeah, yeah. So medicine. If you get good grades, go to medical school. Why? Why would you go to anywhere else? So I went to medical school seven years, and then I just I just didn't enjoy. That's why I did salsa because I needed events. So I would go to my shifts. And I finished my shifts and gone to go teach salsa. And like people in my department, my cardiac surgery department hated me. They always like, you know, it's like if you're not in misery with us, 
<laughs> if you're not if you're not having a bad time like everyone else, why do you have to have a good time and and dance with women? <laughs> Come here and just like deal with death like everybody else. Be- people were depressed, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I I always felt out of place. I always felt out of place. I always felt when I was medical school, I felt out of place because I, I know, I just didn't like the. I, I, I looked to have uh, my own social life outside, and when I was in the in in my high school, I went. To, my parents saved so much money to put me on a, an expensive private school, and I went with the richest people in the country, and I wasn't as rich, so I always felt out of place. So I, I I always I have this kind of feeling of feeling always out of place. I'm I'm not rich, and then I'm in a rich kid school, and I I don't don't like medicine, and now into medical school. I went to salsa while I'm being a doctor, so I was different from everybody else. I went into comedy in my late 30s, early 40s, and everybody thought that I'm like I'm a, like I'm an intruder because I didn't come from that space. So I always feel that I'm out of place. I'm fish out of water, and that's why I'm struggling to feel that like will I always will I be comfortable with who I am because I always feel that I'm doing this stuff while I'm not supposed to do. Even with the Piers Morgan show, I went viral and I'm not even a politician and then suddenly I went viral for all of the things that you shouldn't go viral for. So I always feel that like I'm in a place where I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, I'm being put into spaces that I don't belong to and uh, that's why this is like continuous discomfort that I have. Seems like a special kind of torturous prison to spend 20 years with the meticulousness of and the obsessiveness that surgery requires yeah. with lives in your hands mm. to hate every day of that. Oh, yeah. And then I went to, to uh, comedy and I took the precision and I took the obsession. <laughs> That's why I don't enjoy it. <laughs> a different kind of misery, right? I like, know, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I don't know. I think, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, uh, which feels better, uh, praise, applause, or laughter? A laughter. Because laughter, you cannot praise and applause. Applause, you can do it just like out of, you know, being nice. Praise that come from a a hypocritical or just being, you know, but but like laughter, you cannot fake that. Do you examine your what you call depression there because all of the, the no fact- i'm not why do you i'm not depressed no the i'm fa- very very happy <laughs> why do you think i'm depressed you is th- it because i'm telling you that i'm still living in constant fear that i feel that i'm not gonna do is that like a sign of depression i don't think that's depression also that's like i'm being very um uh, that's also denial <laughs> 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 I, I only seized on it because you use the word you you use the word depressed and what you're describing mm. sounds like it's really hard to be happy inside that because you can't be a surgeon flippantly or part time. No, you, you can't. Like you're go- this thing you hate, you're immersed in it, and it's hard to get away. Like salsa classes are nice, but it's hard to get away but, from. But it. it helped. It felt. It also got me a lot of girls. Yeah, which, well, that uh, helps. I mean, also. I mean, come on, listen. Like a heart surgeon and a salsa teacher, that's a chick magnet and a comedian. Like no, now, no, 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 but no, I'm no, saying no, you had the, the time. Fu- no, but you had the funny in you. You had to have the funny in you. You weren't a comedian, but yeah. You had- well, well, you know, like yeah, well, yeah, maybe. But like again, it's like it just. It, I'm always find a way to make. A dip, like a, a bad situation better so if if you know like medical school i find salsa comedy actually it's like it's, it's nice being comedy but like i like to travel I, I again it's not being depressed i'm very very grateful for what i've been going through but it is just a lot of people when they come and they talk to me about my life they think i'm like oh i'm like you have to live this this great life but deep inside i always feel that i'm undeserving which you know you can always people say it's an imposter syndrome, whatever. But I always feel that I didn't, I wasn't prepared. I didn't study uh, in that field. I, w- I, I don't deserve to be in that field for long because I see people who have been there longer than me and they are not as established or as famous. So I feel like w- w- there's something very wrong. I, I feel this is, I, I don't know. Like I always feel there is, I'm always waiting for whatever I'm going through to crumble. <laughs> <laughs> Have you explored the roots of why you do that? I uh, know. I don't know. No, I don't know. Maybe it's the uh, I, I. I have no. Uh, it's just like again. This is this is a very unusual life. I'm very grateful for it, but again, I don't know if I'm good enough to maintain it. Uh, as I as I said, like. I am now touring with two different specials, one in Arabic and one in English. 
And the one thing that is bugging me is like, what am I going to do if I sell my special? What will be my second special? What I'm going to write about? I, that's it's, the opposite. That's the opposite of of like that seems to be playing defense against anything that can resemble joy. If yeah. if you're always afraid of what's next and you can't enjoy what's happening, or or it makes it harder to enjoy what. That's you're... why I come on podcasts and I do that as <laughs> therapy instead of like paying it because it's very expensive to pay for therapy. So yeah, you're my therapist now. Okay, well Just take it. <laughs> well, you, you've got you, you've got a lot to explore. I I am uh, I am fascinated by uh, both your journey uh, and your choices and your fight. Like you. I mean, I don't know if you would classify yourself as brave. Maybe you'd just say circumstances no. forced me to be brave. But you were doing comedy that was attacking politicians sarcastically. In, I mean, John Stewart of the Middle East doesn't seem like something that can exist. Well, if here's the thing. Uh, there's two ways to look at it. There's just like, oh, you did uh, these kind of political satire in a in a climate that was uh, extremely unlikely to be there, and it's like you went up against the powers that be. You're so brave, but I look at it from a different place. After nine, uh, after 20, 2011, after the um, the uh, the the Arab the Arab Spring, there was a space where people were allowed, like there was like a, a fluidity in politics and in freedom and everything. So I did the show and the show became bigger. Once the show became big, you you always have to perform on a higher level. I did what I did not because I wanted to go against the government. I did what I did because that was good comedy. Because if you didn't do that, that would be like mundane comedy. So I tried to fight as much as possible not because I wanted to prove a point or not because I wanted to be some sort of standing against the uh, the powers or the, or the authority. It's just because this is what political satire looks like. And I tried to push as much as I can until I couldn't do it anymore. So I did it against the Islamists, and there was like a much more freedom at the time because they had the freedom and we had the freedom. And then the military came, and then the freedom were less. Not because the, the Islamists were more democratic, it's just because the atmosphere allowed everybody to have more freedom. And then under the military, I tried to push as much as I can within, within the limits that I can, and at a certain point, I couldn't. So I left. Uh, and 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 so the, the whole idea of like I'm not I was not being there as a as a as a political activist or a freedom fighter. I was just trying to do comedy because that is the way to do comedy. So uh, because if I didn't do it anywhere else, it would be bad comedy. That's the whole thing. That was the driving force. Not being someone who is going against the authority. So I th and I think people in the Middle East. Uh, mess this like they kind of like confuse this so when i stopped doing it because i can't they called me a coward they called me a sellout you left and it's like, and it's like what am i supposed to do get in jail so you'll be happy so why don't you do it from outside it's like political satire works if you are in the country if you do it from outside it's not going to be the same and i don't want to be a political activist who just like throw rocks from outside so when i started doing stand-up comedy i did it in a way because that is the only way i could actually have any foothold of the of the of, of of the american media scene so basically i did everything as a base of like survival as a way to be to to do the comedy that i want to do but it was not about like being brave or being i just like people people put too much hope on comedians and that's wrong because we go, they go to the people in the media and they go to people in in, in, in the pol and politicians and they're doing a really bad job so who is doing their job? Comedians, because we make fun of stuff. So they think that we have the answers. We don't. We just make fun of stuff. And that is the problem. I always say that the, the, this whole thing about like the infatuation of comedians, that they are, the, they are the, the, the new thought leaders, they are the new philosophers. Our, our role ends at the edge of our theater, at the edge of the television. And this kind of like hope that you put on comedians put a, a huge stress on them that they shouldn't be there. So uh, I think that's that's the whole thing about like conflating comedy and politics and activism with humor. A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that has the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite 
is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall, I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12 ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16 ounce cans. They usually come in a four packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler, you put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. What was the most scared you were between the, uh, you know, the arrest warrants and the raiding of the of your offices? Like there there had to be some fear in there. If you're not assigning bravery to it, there were consequences. Well, the uh, uh, well, the interrogation was uh, for some reason. I just was I was taking it lightly. And I don't know because I didn't believe that they would put me in jail because of that. So maybe inside of me, I didn't think, I told myself there's nothing to be worried about. Although there was a lot of consequences that will happen. The raiding of the offices, just to be honest, it happened to the offices of the production company that was doing the show. It didn't happen to me. But there was a kind of a certain fear where I had to leave Egypt in four hours. And I was wondering if they will stop me at the airport and there was another incident where i was actually detained in a in another arab country when i was still having my egyptian passport in 2019 before i got my american passport and i didn't know that this arab country there was like a kind of an extradition uh, agreement with egypt and uh, i was going to be delivered to the egyptians and but these kind of moments where you should be afraid of, I don't know why there's always like a voice inside of me saying like everything's going to be okay. And I was kind of like, I was, I, I, I have this kind of like very optimistic, you see how pessimistic you think that I was at the beginning, but I have this optimistic thing in me that's saying like nothing wrong will happen. So maybe at the at the height of of success, I always this have this voice of making, keeping me like worried about the future. And when something really bad is happening to me, I have this voice that's telling me it's going to be okay and nothing harmful will happen to me. So this is, maybe it's like all of these are defense mechanisms. Are you spiritual? Like what is what is happening there? That you Because that sounds like confidence. I don't know. Well, I just told you when I'm at the height of my career, I, I didn't have any confidence. I, I'm always afraid. I know, but, if, it, maybe, if, but maybe, if at the top you're afraid of being at the bottom and at the bottom or wherever it is that you're afraid, you're like everything's going to be okay. Yeah, maybe it is a defense mechanism. Maybe it's a, maybe like when you're at the top, you, you you don't want to be enamorated or infatuated with success, so it keeps you grounded. And when you're at the bottom, you just want to feel, feel that everything is okay, so you don't go crazy. So uh, maybe it's uh, it's 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 an it's it's a defense mechanism that happens innately. Can you tell me about those four hours that you're talking about before, as you were ready to leave like Egypt and change your life in a way that uh, had, to, had to be pretty scary? Yeah. So uh, a background for that, uh, we, uh, we, we went into uh, an arbitration case between me and my ex-channel uh, television station. And of course, things like that in Egypt doesn't happen because of the TV channel. It happens because of like bigger powers do that. But they didn't want to make it to appear as if it is like a curbing of freedom, but it's like a legal conflict, if you know what I mean. So... A curbing of freedom in disguise. Uh, yeah. So the, my, my lawyer said, like, uh, there was no way we would lose the case because basically what happened is they, they canceled my show. So we went into arbitration and there was no way that I would lose it because we, we, we delivered everything and they are the one who canceled. And then my lawyer called me at 12 noon, 11th of November, 2014. And he told me, you lost the case. Now we have to pay 150 million pounds to them. I said, like, what? I said, like, he said, like, we have never seen in history of arbitration in Egypt. We have never seen that. At the time, that was about $15 million. And, uh, and I said, uh, and, and, I, and I said, like, but that doesn't make any sense. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. But under the circumstances, it does. You need to leave right now. It's like, what? wait, there's no jail time in arbitration. I said, he said, under normal circumstances, there isn't. Now you need to jump on a plane and leave the country. So it was, I got the 12 noon, four o'clock. I was in airport. I put as many underwear I can in two suitcases. I took the plane to Dubai, stayed there for a few months. And then from Dubai, I went to the States. So in that four hours, all I had to time, I called my brother, went to my, my father, told him I'm leaving the country. 
And he said, like, well, good luck. <laughs> uh, I told my wife, I was just like, get me out of the bags and just like put stuff. It, it was the most chaotic thing ever. And uh, when I went there, I was just hoping that they didn't have time to put my uh, name on any lists. So, and I left. Terrified walking through the airport. Yeah, but I, for some reason, I... Everything's <laughs> well, going to be okay. For some reason, I was like, everything's going to be okay. Nothing's going to... Bad's going to happen. Fifth, what's a $15 million judgment yeah, 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 when you yeah, don't yeah. have the $15 million? And yeah. I'm now presently fleeing my homeland, <laughs> yes. but everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and, and I know that I, I... It's just when I talk about this, I talk about it as kind of, you know, people say, like, how do you talk about it very calmly? I said, like, I don't know. I think something happens to me that will tell me that 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 the... That will keep me in a, in a in a mood where I don't panic, although maybe inside I panic, and I kind of like that that kind of panic comes out maybe days later. I had uh, something like this happening. I don't know if it's similar or not, but uh, my little brother uh, recently passed away. And oh, I'm the, so sorry. Thank you. Um, the the last year of his life was had a lot of turbulence in it, or last two years really, uh, and there were so many instances where I was in places that were horrifying, heartbreaking, uh, terrifying, and I felt like I was watching myself experience them and 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 being like, you're doing okay here. You're mm. like being gentle with myself while I was in it, but it felt like somebody it was happening to somebody else. Mm. It was it was it yeah. was so it was so traumatic that I, I it wasn't really I didn't have any comfort in it, but I, I wasn't quite as scared of it as I should be as I tell you the yes. story in retrospect. Exactly, yeah. So you feel, you feel it. Like you, I think this is like a, maybe a defense mechanism that our bodies, our brains do it in order to keep you sane or not, like not, not making you completely freak out because maybe your body wants you to be functional. Your brain, your conscious wants you to be functional. So it gives you all of these fake... Uh, kind of assurances that everything is going to be okay. While it, 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 it maybe the other, the other choice is like to co to go completely to lose your mind. So. I <laughs> Yeah, no, that that could have happened to me. I felt sometimes like it was happening to me, but not in the moments that were most pressurized. Yeah. Uh, so are you telling your family? Are you leaving by yourself? You're getting yeah, on there, yeah. and 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 your wife and my, everybody my, understands. We, we, well, what what can they say? I mean, like my my, they, I just like calling everybody. Like I called my brother, went my, to my father, and of course my my wife with me at home, and I just told them, and and he said, and they were. Um, weirdly very understanding and they, they, they what they the best thing that they did was they didn't want to put any more pressure on me they said alright when you just when you arrive just like tell us you're okay it was that kind of thing and that is like maybe sometimes it's the best support you can get from your family is that instead of because you know how it is like oh my god what's happening it's like you don't need to listen to that right now you're already having a lot of stuff my wife is the most grounded person ever and I think uh, because of her, maybe I just went through a lot of stuff that usually people don't survive going through. Is the fact that she is extremely grounded, very understanding, and the same with my dad, and the same with my brother. They were like all very grounded. My mom passed away a year before that, and if it was my mom, my mom would be all over the place. My mom was like she lived on her nerves. She lived just to worry about us. And uh, so, you know, I had like the, the people who were more grounded to kind of support me with this within that journey. How difficult or how much uh, I'm not good enough comes from being raised by a judge and a professor mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people who are accomplished and are going to expect perhaps culturally that you must be accomplished too. My dad was the most chilled person ever. He didn't care. He said, like, do whatever you want. And uh, my mom was the, uh, the one who wore the pants in the house. My mom was the strong person in the house. Uh, she lived with three men, me, my brother, and my dad, and she was in control. So she was like a strong Egyptian, Arab, Muslim mother who's established in her case. And if for, the, for her, that is like where all the perfectionists, perfectionism come from. All well, that's like, not, no, that sounds a little bit, that's, like, that's my family. My dad's not quite chill. He worries uh, a lot, but mm. the, the mother was absolutely in charge and yeah, yeah. the same, a brother and a 
people were always uh, surprised because my brother and my father and I are, they, they think of us as big personalities. But anytime we'd walk into a place, it would be my mother oh, up front as, no, the, no, as the lead. My, my mom is always the lead. And my dad kind of like didn't, he, my dad was not a guy who was confrontational. He was just like a guy who did his job, provided for his family, and he just wanted his time playing tennis and being and chilling with his friends. That is what my dad he was like the most um, chilled, coolest person ever. Uh, very, just he, he. He was just like a wonderful, wonderful person. My mom was the one who would like push the family into like we have. We need to put Basim into a better school. We need to put like to have like a better thing. She was the one who was pushing the family forward always, and she was the one who was. She was the engine. She was the uh, the, the the power in in that family. But that came as a, at a price because she was very difficult to deal with. She because she was very high maintenance, very uh, assertive, very like you know you cannot you you can't mess with her. You know she was uh, there's like <laughs> you can't even like raise your voice a little bit in front of her. Like it's you she was she was scary, but also very loving, always worrying, a hundred percent like just like all over the place, hands on. And uh, this is the the I think the duality between these two parents, like the very chilled. And the very tense <laughs> finds finds its way through you, and now you now I understand what I have in me from them, and I try to tweak these two elements in a way that kind of make me survive better. <laughs> so I need that perfectionism, that kind of like fire, and then I need that chilled out to kind of like put 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 me down a little bit. So these kind of you 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 play with the ingredients if you can, yeah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. How many years, days, months did you spend trying to get out of medicine or thinking about getting out of medicine before you actually got out? Every day. <laughs> I, the, the, the thing with medicine is that I always think, all right, I'll get out of medicine. What will I do? Because I have to have a choice. And uh, I remember when I, I, I finished medical school in 2000. And I borrowed money from my dad in order to make a chicken farm. I did a chicken farm, yeah. I, I bought 10,000 <laughs> chicks, and I said, like, I'm going to do I, 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 I Because there was a break between my- On med- the side? Yeah, yeah. There was a break, like, a few months before, like, me finishing my medical school and me getting the residency. And there was also the army. So I had, like, a space to do something. So it's like, maybe I will do go into my, do something to- like to invest money into it and uh yeah I, and i made my, my my dad lose a lot of money on that and i felt so ter- terrible about like making him lose the money and it's all right maybe it's just medicine now and i went into medicine and i just went into the trajectory of being of like being a, a resident doctor like to be an attending doctor and i just accepted that as my destiny be- but in, in inside of me, I, I didn't want to do medicine. But I because I but also inside of me, I didn't feel that I was a good doctor. I did all of like I, I did the, my USMLE, my uh, my RCS, the, the British one, and I, I was a, 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 an honor student, and I had like a residency and everything. But I, I I didn't like it, and I and I didn't feel. I always say I was a heart doctor, I was a heart surgeon, but my heart wasn't in it. So. Um, you can't do anything um, joyfully mm. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, so, so when when I did the YouTube videos and it went viral, and I had like this television uh, deal, it's like yeah, that's my chance. But even then, I didn't leave medicine right away because my mom said like, don't leave medicine. So all right, how about I take a, a leave of absence for a year and see how this plays? Because at the time, I also had like a, I was accepted in a fellowship in Cleveland and I was going to travel. And uh, so I had the television deal. I had my residency. In, I had none of my residency. I had my position in the university in Egypt, and I had the the fellowship in in, in Cleveland. So I said, like, I'm going to put medicine on hold for a year and see how it goes. By the second year, I I renewed for a second season. I had a lot of money. I said, good. Now I can leave medicine. So I resigned. 
Do you remember any of the details about where the light went off or where there was maximum illumination on something swelling in you? Here's my way out of the prison. Like you say, when the YouTube uh, show got popular, but yeah. are there any details where a light goes on and you're like, oh, this is the path. I must chase this. It was the second season when I did the live audience. And I was it's just like the, the, the show was like huge and it was so huge and so big that you think, oh, it's never going to get canceled. You had this <laughs> uh, a year and a half later, it did. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at this time, like, good. Now I'm I'm ha I'm earning that much money. And it's all it's weird because a big part of it was actually like a, uh, it's a financial decision. If you're earning that much money, so I don't need medicine anymore. I, it, 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 it is very basic. It can be as basic as this. Maybe I just needed something else to provide me with financial stability that I don't have to stay in medicine for it. Maybe the only reason I was in medicine because it was just a known path, a guaranteed path into financial stability, and I didn't have any other option. And when I did, I left it. And I know it sounds very basic and very uninspiring, but maybe that's the reason. What was your assessment of the high end of what the show could become when you started it? Like you thought you were creating what to what end? I all uh, when I when I started it, I said like, oh, I want to be like a, a, a version of John Stewart in the Middle East. And I remember after the first show, first season, the first season was a recorded uh, small television show. It didn't have live audience. It didn't have that dynamic. Uh, uh, energy that the budget the, what's the budget for oh then the budget was very small it's nothing um, and but when we when we were about to renew the second season I went to the to New York to shadow the production team of the Daily Show and John caught me on the show and I remember after as I was leaving and I told him I'm trying to do a live audience and I if I do would you please come to my show and he did and when he did, he attended my show. It's on YouTube, by the way. You can find the, show, the whole show. And, and John was amazing. He came to Egypt and he said, I never thought that like a Jewish guy from New Jersey would have this kind of a, uh, a, a reception in the middle of Cairo. People were going crazy. And on that, that day, and when I kind of fulfilled my promise to him and he fulfilled his promise to me, that for me was like the peak of my career in Egypt. I said, like, they can cancel the show now. I don't care. And uh, I, I, I really thought that the, the, we had a chance. We did something that is very unique in the Arab world. It was watched not by the Egyptians, but all over the people in, in the Arab world, people, Arab people in diaspora. And it was uh, something very beautiful. And uh, I, I, felt, I felt very sad when it ended. And at the same time, I felt very relieved because the kind of stress that I was living in day in, day out. I was very depressed. I, the, the, the day that I got the phone it's like we cannot have this show anymore we're very sorry i i kind of like i had a sense of relief oh i don't have to go to the office next week i don't have to go through the stress of trying to produce a very unique episode better than the one that we just did because i it is just a con continuous stress and it's very weird that like i left medicine because of the stress because i didn't like it and i went to a a, a line of work that i thought it was nice but i was also stressed out so it just Again, it is the duality of the stress of the chilling out that I have to deal with all the time. How and why do you think the show caught on from your perspective? How and why did it become that big? Uh, because people are not used for political satire uh, and for the kind of comedy where you go and criticize openly the, the government or the authority or the president. A, or the, a starving for freedom or something that felt yeah. freer, creatively yeah. free. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so, and this is why people didn't like the show. They like how the show made them feel. And this is why when I escaped, when I left, when people tell me, why don't you do the show online? So it's not going to be the same. People, this kind of hope that people had is gone. Because doing the show from inside Egypt, there was always this kind of hope that things can change. But when that is gone, it, it becomes a vent. And, and, and you cannot be a vent that long. And uh, people will put so many hopes and dreams. And when, th when things don't change, they, they, the, the love and the adoration and the aspiration turn into hate. Because now that it's your fault. It's very difficult. Seriously. I mean, I'm telling you, even what's happening now in Gaza and what's happening there. I went to the Piers Morgan show. 
and now people because it's now it's going for a hundred days and people are still being dead it's like why don't you do every anything about palestine it's like dude what do you want me to do why don't you speak, speak more it's like will that solve the problem i speak when i get asked about that but it's just like people pushing you to be a political activist all the time and you cannot fulfill that that, that because it is very difficult position to attain because i am not a political activist your wife is half Palestinian. What does she say you should be doing or on this front with the platform? She doesn't say, uh, she doesn't tell me what I should do with anything. She's, because again, even she's half Palestinian, she understands the reality of the situation and she understands that the reason why people there are having like a, like a horrible time, big part of it is like how the Arab countries failed on their part. I mean, they're not, of course, like Israel is to blame, in my opinion. 100% but also it's because the people there are left there because the the it's the collective failure of the Arab world they left their Palestinian brother face that and they are not giving getting well support so she understands and she knows that like me as a person I there's that much I can do and she's happy that like the opportunities that I got that I spoke up but also she's not an activist herself because she understands she's a human she is more concerned about her kids and about our, our raising our family and she doesn't want to be pulled every single day into this kind of like misery on the online because that's why she she she's she, she actually deactivated most of her social media because she know and that's i think that's the best thing she should oh do. my god it's such a poison be, because, because she she knows that that poisons uh, their life and 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 she said like I I need I need to be there for our family for the for the kids. So she's choosing, she's 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 choosing well. You struggled with that a little bit. Yeah, It's it's also the jet lag and the sixteen hours flight. Do do you sort of fear the future, or are you hopeful? about the future, not just personally, but with everything you see happening everywhere that uh, feels every day to me a little bit scarier when I've never been a person who's been terribly scared. Oh, you mean the future of the planet? I'm just... Oh, we're guest. doomed. <laughs> <laughs> I say that with the, ni the nicest way possible. We are... Can we say we're fucked? Can we say that? Okay, we're fucked. <laughs> I mean, whether it's climate, whether it's like war, where it's like, uh, I don't know, the collapse of the moral system of the world. No, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're totally fucked. Okay. Well, and we're good. here to make fun of it. Basically, we're here to make as much money as possible so we can build a bunker and be safe <laughs> so from could, everyone. So we could have Zuckerberg's 100 yes. acres in Hawaii exactly. uh, hiding uh, in so a it's, it's It's survival now. Every, everyone for himself. You mentioned you mentioned Piers Morgan, uh, the show, the appearance you made uh, a few different times here. Explain to the audience, for those who might not know, what happened there, what you expected to happen there, and um, how afraid you were of being in the middle of all of that. So I've been on a Piers Morgan show a couple of times, one to promote my show in Europe last March, and one when they asked me to talk about the Afrocentric movement with the new Cleopatra Netflix documentary, and I talked about as an Egyptian about that. So when the, the thing broke out in Palestine, they called me to talk about what happened. And I was afraid because the propaganda on the 7th of October was crazy and the stuff that was said to happen and which actually turned out to be wrong and a big part of it is propaganda. Uh, it was very d difficult for me to speak up about what's happening without appearing as I am supporting Hamas or supporting terrorism or like being anti-Semite. So I, I, I kind of like, I, I, I said no a couple of times. But then I saw that Ben Shapiro came on his show and he said the most vile, most horrible things. And I got like very angry and they told me to come on the show. So I went on the show and uh, my first interview with him went very uh, went viral 23 million views on 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 the first show that was the biggest that he did in in his youtube channel and then he asked me to come and to do like a sit down with him and all i did was that i i talked differently about what's happening there tried to humanize palestinian because they're always looked upon as like lesser humans who should die and right now there's like almost thirty thousand people who got killed in less than 100 days and the whole world is doing nothing for it and all of them are using hamas they're using terrorism even if isis lived in gaza there's no excuse of of killing thirty thousand people in 100 days that is and that's no excuse of like dropping what is equivalent to four nuclear bombs into like a very congested 
uh, locked up open prison with two and a half million people living there. Uh, and, and and the dehumanization of, of a group of people like that, which 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 is this is this is like the even Holocaust survivors talk against what's happening in Palestine. So you cannot do make this as an anti-Semite thing. There is like the Jewish Voice for Peace who have been uh, arrested in New York and saying that this is not this should not happen in my name. You cannot you cannot just like uh, uh, label anybody who talks for the freedom of Palestinian people as anti-Semite. This is propaganda. This is a way to shut down conversation. Every time you talk about Islam, you're Islamophobe. That's wrong. Every time you talk about like uh, what's happening with the LGBTQLD as a transphobe, that's that's not right. You cannot use labels. Or when you talk about what's wrong with America, and people tell you that you're an unpatriotic. Uh, because I've been there. I've been there. When I talk about what's happening in Egypt and people told me, like, you're a spy, you're a traitor. When I talk about that against the Islamists, they told me, to, like, you're a, you're an infidel, you hate Islam. So I've been, like, with this kind of life, I've been uh, called names by the Islamists. I've been called names by the nationalists. I've been called names by the pro-Israeli people. I've been even called names by the pro-Palestinian, but not been doing enough. So every time that you talk... And people kind of like throw stuff at you as racist, Islamophobe, you're anti-Semite. This is a way to shut down conversation. And I and I, and and this is like a very very lazy way to intimidate people about not talking about issues by just like throwing labels at you instead of actually listen, listening to a nuanced, deep, uh, comprehensive, sub, uh, objective conversation. Can you tell me how much? fear you had as a surgeon or how much of a plague it was to hold human life in your hand and yeah. and lose people oh yeah absolutely I'm, I'm, of the you have this kind of fear of like messing up and if you mess up like you know the the price you pay is someone else's life thank god i mean i i was an attending doctor i was not a senior surgeon when i left so i didn't i only had a few patients of my own which thank god survived <laughs> i did like a few uh valve replacements and i i'm, I'm part of like a, uh you know open heart surgery for um cabbage or you know uh bypass and but i didn't do that many and as a surgeon, you will have to have mortality somehow. So thank God I went out of medicine before killing anybody. <laughs> thank God there is no blood on my hands. <laughs> I came on time before messing up. I came out, and now I'm just like messing up, jo messing up jokes. That's that's what I do now. <laughs> it is. It is slightly less pressure. Yes. Uh, but it, but how how did you deal with the pressure of that? Uh. Again, it's the the calming voice inside of you telling you everything will be okay. Uh, and I think it's like when you um, heart surgery is a is a big process. So you start by maybe extracting the vein and extracting the uh, the radial nerve from the hand, kind of like for the bypasses, or to to do to open the skin, open the chest. You do as as you go up, you do parts of the operation. The main part of the operation, which is the valve replacement or the bypass itself, it is up to the senior surgeon or me as an attending doctor trying to learn. So I was always part of a bigger apparatus, bigger procedure. So I always being like part of it. So I would be extracting a, a vein from a guy who would later die. It's not my fault. It's a, it's a senior surgeon. So I don't have that on my conscience. At least my vein worked. <laughs> you, did, you did your... I did, I, I did my job and, 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 and the guy messed it up. I don't care. What a, what a, what a bad teammate. You just... Yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah I'm, it's all about me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just care about not missing up and killing other people. It's like, hey, kill them. Why, why, why do I have to worry about that? <laughs> who's, who's got a bigger God complex, surgeons or uh, comedians? Mm. See how I hesitated now? Because some some comedians have very bad God complex, but usually surgeons. Yeah, we, they, 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 they have a lot of... Yeah, yeah they're huge. That's why I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't stay there because there's the egos in, in that surgery, surgery room. Oh, my God. There's no place for even for the, for the patient. <laughs> so thank God I got... Yeah, there's too, too much ego going there. But also for comedians, actually for celebrities. It's not about comedians. It's about like how big you are as a celebrity. I've, I've seen people with huge God complex. Yeah. And, and it's very difficult not to. 
When you have all of these people like adoring you and I'm, it is very, I, I mean, I, I wonder why. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that fame came to me at, at like, like late 30s, early 40s. And even when it got, get, came to me, it got, everything was taken away from me and I had to start again in my mid 40s, late 40s. So I'm, I thank God, like I have the checks and balances to telling me you're not that much of a big shit, you know? But like I've seen celebrities and, Ah, oh, the the dark complexities, and not even celebrities, influencers, just like people who's like a few million followers on Instagram. Oh my God, they, they, and 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 I see it, and I see and and I see when people come in and and just like storm you and having all of these people wanting to have selfies with you. I wonder, it's like, yeah, it 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 messes up with your mind. How can you not be human? <laughs> it's intoxicating. It's as very well. it's, fame is very toxic. It's terrible. Can you? Take me through the beginnings of your stand-up comedy career. Mm. How much failure was there? How oh, much embarrassment? How how many times were you? How often were you going home? I'm bad at this. This I'm not going to succeed. How many here. often? How many? Uh, how many times I would go home and cry? And uh, because when I started doing stand-up comedy, like anything that you start, you suck at it, especially if you're doing it in second language. And I chose to do stand-up comedy in my second language because I wanted to break free from the curse of my show back in Egypt. The show was so big, it was like a black hole. It would suck anything that comes near to it. So I said, like, I need to make a decision. I will do a show that's not a television show. I will do a show that is live in a language that's not Arabic. And I do it in a format that's different from the show. So people will come and have no expectations but still my fans here in america will come with a lot of expectations and they will come and see me and i i i i i suck i suck big time i i was not good and i see the disappointments in their eyes it's like oh Bessim is done now he's gone he's a husband it's only going to be six six months from now he's going to be driving an uber and uh yeah it was very it is it's terrible i i, I would go to these comedy clubs and perform very badly because it's not just like about like finding the good jokes it's finding the good delivery and, and in your second language uh, yeah and the delivery and the cadence and the speed and i i, I was yeah uh, at a certain point i would be i would just be uh, I, I i remember like listening to recordings it's like oh i'm just monotonous i'm just like reciting the jokes because i have to and it was terrible and now it took a t it took time to kind of find my voice in stand-up comedy. So yeah, there was a lot of failure, a uh, lot of crying. Even my stand-up comedy at the beginning was was not a stand-up comedy. It was more of like a, a a PowerPoint presentation. I would use like videos and and pictures with me, and so because I would use them to make them laugh, like you know, like the Daily Show, do they they have pictures and stuff? Because I I needed a crutch to make me funny and I didn't trust me myself as someone who would actually do something so I let the PowerPoint I let everything and now I'm doing the show just me how did you do treating failure as learning because I have a hard time with that um, well I mean if, if if you do bad there's two things there's there's two ways to do it you can either just like uh actually three ways you can be depressed and not find a way there's like there you could deny it or you can uh i would actually pay other comedians to come and see my show and give me notes so i did that i would kind of like work with people work with people uh, with like i would uh, i would perform for them they would come to my show and i would pay them to come and, t and tell me how my show could be be better, so I didn't have any ego from. And these are comedians who knew me from Egypt, so they have this like great respect for me. It's like, oh, what you did for Egypt, amazing, dude. Here, I'm nobody. Please come to my show, and and just work with me. And they were very nice, and I and I and I benefited a lot from having other people looking at my act and tell me how to improve it. You must take critique well if you're welcoming it. Well, well, it it has to come from a place to know that you're not good enough, and you always know that there's there's always a space to improve, and 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 already going in knowing that I'm not good. So you can either go cry yourself to sleep every day, or you have to do something about it. And if you do something about it, is to get help and to get help from people who know that uh, profession more than you. How long did you spend in this space, going home and crying, failing, crying, failing, crying? Three for three years, yeah. Three out of three, three, four years, yeah.
only the last couple of years I, I, I feel that I am in a, in, a, in a better place with my comedy now with my, uh, my English show especially the Arabic show I only started a year ago and the trajectory was faster uh, the first three months I was terrible <laughs> and then the last nine months or so I'm, I'm, I'm much better all three years are spent doubting yourself i've made a i've made the wrong decision oh yeah 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 i mean mean, and sometimes now when i i mean mean, now it's better but like uh, it will be triggered again if i had a bad show and i'm hoping not to have a bad show so it's been a while since i have a very very bad show really bad show I mean, I had sometimes like I go for an hour, not a single laugh. I, I had I had nights like these, but it's been a while that uh, hasn't been there. But again, it's it's been my same material, and which well, this is where you find oh, the same material. But, but you know, stand-up comedians will tell you the first special is the hardest to sell, and the second special is the worst to write. <laughs> so because the first special is your origin story you try to and 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 you know there are people who have been touring with the same show for like 10 15 years until they sold the first special so i've been touring with the same special for three four years so not bad so far but you're wondering if you have anything else after that special so i'm i'm kind of like a duality of like just do what you do good at now make it tour with it as much as possible and there's the other part was like will you be able to do something else I would assume that you built how you are from what you're explaining would get real restless with okay this works it finally works but now I'm doing months of the same thing that works and I'm hitting the correct notes and this isn't as creative as I want to be and what am I going to do next I know what works this is safe this isn't challenging enough exactly Exactly. It's between like, oh, it's safe, just do it. Or between like, can I challenge myself and just like have to go through the same three years of crying, oh my God, that's not working anymore. So it's between these two. I mean, but who would welcome that, right? Like that's, you you, you have to choose the uncomfortable path in order f- yeah. to grow. Everyone, everyone, the therapists will help you with, yeah, go toward the pain, but mm. that's, go toward the failure. That's where growth is. That's yeah. what growing pains are. But they're not the ones crying for three years, feeling yeah. like a failure in the hotel room, exactly. doubting themselves. Exactly. But now I have like this show. It's like, it's, it's so, yeah, I've been doing it, whatever. But also I'm earning a lot of money from it, so I'm keeping it. That, uh, that helps, <laughs> right? That, that, that always helps. Always the money. You, it's the money. <laughs> it's always nothing but the money. It yeah. always comes back to that. <laughs> uh, the feeling of bombing, when you say an hour without a single laugh, uh, what human feelings have you felt as lonely as that one? Ah, oh, it's terrible. Oh my God, my heart is sinking. I'm sweating. I am. I wish that the the the, that the earth would just like split open and just like <laughs> suck me into the abyss. Uh, yeah, you know, even like the you know the term "I'm dying up here." They've even like television show on Showtime called "I'm Dying." The "I think I'm dying" is is actually very eloquent because it says it's not like I, I I'm dead. It's I'm dying. It's the continuous act of dying. <laughs> You're dying. You're continuously dying for 15 minutes or for an hour. Can you imagine? I mean, because yeah, it because, because the thing is like I'm die. You die once. Like I die. <laughs> But actually, you are dying right. for this amount of time. It is terrible. Can and you know it. And you yes. know you're dying. It's yes. not like it, you're, you're dying. Like, you give me sudden death. Give, yes, give, yeah. It, you're dying. You're, you're continuing. You, you're, it's a continuous failure. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a terrible feeling. And I wish I will never get into that. But I will. If I, if I want to try something new, I will have to find a... Find it in me to kind of like accept dying for a while. You're selling out shows now, though, right? Like everything, yeah. everywhere you go, uh, it, it's met with uh, great fanfare and not a lot of bombing. Correct? Yeah. yeah. This is a good face, and I'm happy with that. So I, I'm appreciative of that very much. But you're restless. Yes, because I don't know. What will be my second shows? Will be like, for example, I, I okay. This is very specific. So now I have uh, shows. I have offers to do Arabic shows in Lebanon and in Jordan, and because I'm Egyptian, and I know a lot. I'm, I know. I know. I will sell these shows. So I have no fear of selling out. 
I have fear of what will be my Egyptian dialect. Will it work in in a, in uh, in a place where mostly Lebanese or mostly Jordanians? Uh, because my my show there's. You see, the, okay, I'm getting into the nuances of my shows. So, for example, in the English show, my best shows, if I ever have like 50-50 or 70-30, I have like 50 Arabs and 50 non-Arabs or 60-40 or so. This mix gets the best response from my English shows, the mix. Not 100% Arabs and not 100% whites. The Arabic show in order to work very well i need to have at least 30 uh, 40 to 50 percent egyptians because e egyptian dialect is kind of like the leading dialect people understand it more so i need that kind of like energy in the room and then the 50 percent could be any any other uh people from it's designed to have people from different dialects but mostly egyptians so you see i have these little things i don't know if it will work uh, and I don't know what will uh, the, the 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 makeup of the audience will be if the venue will will allow to have like good comedy. It's just like the, the and I shouldn't be listening about that. I I shouldn't be worrying about that. I should be worried about like will I sell tickets? Will I do well? Or not worrying? Yeah. I, I think what you should do is not worry. I should. I should. That would be better than and that, let me choose a different thing to worry about. Yes, doctor. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, 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 how the choice the choice is only I have to worry about some different I, thing. I know. I know it's terrible, man. But that has to be your mother, right? Yeah, that's my mom. That's my mom. That's the uh, when I'd had my show in Egypt, everybody would be like, "Call me amazing, okay, amazing episode." I would dread the calls for my mom. That would be the worst. It's like, oh my God, my mom will call me. Because my mom didn't care about the comedy. My mom didn't care about the material. My mom didn't care about how smart the show is. My mom worried if that show will put me in jail. Will that show get me hurt? That is the one thing she worried about. Nothing else. And so my conversation with everybody, oh, the show was great, the joke's like, but I was like, why did you say this joke? Did she you ever know, laugh? Uh, Did she uh, laugh? Did she, she doesn't. It's she, my mom never laughed. Never laughed. I would say with her, and she was like, like this. Are you shitting me? And she was like, she she, she was like, hmm, like this, and she came to my show once. My dad came to every single show. My my dad and my brother came to all of my shows live. My mom attended the show once because she couldn't, she couldn't take the pressure and she could take of of worrying about me. That my 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 mom was born to worry about her children. That was my mom. So that is the constant fear and constant worry. That's my mom. I uh, will let you go in a second. I can talk to you for a lot of time. <laughs> but I, a book I read one time uh, by Eckhart Tolle about the power of now basically condenses life to the idea of no matter what your situation is now, if you are present in the now, that fear and regret, regret living in the past and fear living in the future, they're useless. They don't help you enjoy the now. You pretty clearly have to do something with the worry unless you think the worry helps you be a perfectionist and it makes you better at your craft that you need it it's easier said than done i wish i don't have that kind of worry and it's it's like i mean hearing myself talking to you i know that is very counterproductive but i can't help it because i always because look, look at me i mean i was in a very 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 stable career and I left it to something that's unstable. And then that career blew up. And because of that, I had to escape. And then I lost everything. So I, I went to the highest of fame. And all of that was taken to me overnight. So you have to understand that I come from a, from a place that I'm not very sure or secure about what's going to happen in the past. Because I have seen that happen to me before. And I always worry it will happen to me again. So this feeling of constant insecurity and worried, I can't help it because... Like my my history doesn't really support being confident about what's going to happen in the future. Well, uh, I can tell you with conviction that you're exceptional at what you do and uh, you're important, I would say, even though you might not uh, think it. Uh, I, I'm sorry if I, if I embarrass you with <laughs> no, that. No, you're, you're being very nice. 
I mean, but what an influence, what an inspiration you must be to others with the choices you make. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't yeah, put what, that in your what, mouth. Yeah, I, I, it, I see this. What, I it's see a mouthpiece. Other, it's just yeah, a mouthpiece. To do what? I, well, I, I uh, sometimes... What's happening in this room when I'm not here? People accuse... Is this like a... What, 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 what kind of an underground... What do you guys... Is this Pizza Gate? What do you guys do <laughs> no. here? What are you doing in this place? No. For tour dates, tickets, and more, go to bossamyoucef.xyz. <laughs> You can follow him on Instagram <laughs> at Bossom. I was terrified you were going to put that in your mouth. I am a Miami Heat mouthpiece. That's what that represents. That's uh, a Miami Heat? Uh, well, I, I'm a journalist, allegedly, and oh, people okay. accuse me of just shilling for the Miami Heat. They call me a Miami Heat mouthpiece. So sometimes I, I reveal wrong news oh, okay. uh, in in, the, in my you know wearing And what mouthpiece. is this ring? What is the, what, well, I just saw this today for the first time, and I'm guessing what that's What is like, happening in like, this room when like I'm not there? Stre- yeah. what, I, what, okay. what is this? this <laughs> all right thank you uh, boss. <laughs> thank you we appreciate your time sir <laughs> exactly what you think is happening <laughs> a lot has changed over the years but you know one thing that has the great taste of miller light another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling so what's the best thing about the original light beer I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall... I I don't even go for the the regular 12-ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16-ounce cans. They usually come in a four-packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler. You put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can... A beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling, and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.